What's up, guys? Welcome back to Reformation South. We have Chesley back with us today. How hey, are you everyone. today? I'm all right. I'm good. How are you, Caleb? So we finally... Oh, I'm good. I'm great. We finally have at least one of the one of the guys back in studio, but we're not in studio today. We're actually recording outside, so if you hear some background noise, some dogs barking, stuff like that, just roll with it. Baby's we're, crying. Yeah, baby's crying in the background. Um, but yeah, Reformation South, in pursuit of sound doctrine church unity, and a humble faith. And of course, that is part of proper ministries. And the goal of proper ministries is to get the whole of the scriptures to the whole of the people through the whole of life. So we thank you guys so much for joining us again for another episode. And sincerely, we thank you. In fact, over the past week or so, we've actually heard from uh, a few that have said that they are listening and they are enjoying the episodes. I always make jokes about the five listeners that we have. Maybe, maybe we actually have eight. You know, so we've, we've, we've added a couple of names of people that we know listen. And so we, we thank you so much for that. Um, I think we have what well, I know that we do. I know we have some important things to discuss on this episode. Uh, but let me say this. I haven't been doing this and shame on me. But if you are in the Baxley area and you ever would like to worship with us or fellowship with us, we do. Um, we do still meet at Gooey's Pizza every Thursday night at 6 p.m. We eat. The Bible study starts around seven and on Sunday evenings we meet in in the homes of some of the members that we have in our fellowship and so if you ever want to join us just reach out to us on on Facebook or send me a text message or, or give me a call 912-339-1133 we'll be happy to let you know uh, where we're meeting that we may start bouncing around to different homes so I can't tell you exactly where we're going to be right now um, but yeah just let us know we'd love to have you we'd love to get to know you better spend some time with you but Above all else, we would love to to worship God alongside of you and uh, and study His Word alongside of you uh, as well. But yeah, if you do listen and you enjoy it, we we very much appreciate hearing from you. Um, and uh, and so we love we love to hear from you. We love to hear your thoughts. And again, as I always try to say, even if you disagree with what we talk about, or even if you get angry about something that we talk about, we would still love to hear from you. So reach out to us anytime. Chesley, how you been? It's been a few weeks. I'm all right, man. It's been busy, working, um, preparing uh, further education and things like that. So just trying to get all of that sorted out. And, um, I'm happy to be back with you. Yeah. I know that you are very happy to know that he is still alive and with us. And uh, for those of you who have been listening to the past few episodes, you may just be happy that there's at least one other voice <laughs> and you don't have to listen to Caleb talk just for 50 minutes. Um, so... I mentioned, I know that we have some very important things to discuss uh, in this episode, which in our minds, we never try to discuss things that aren't important or that aren't uh, necessary. Um, but we'll go ahead and we'll front load this episode by actually stating a premise, which we don't do that for every episode, but I am going to state the premise for this one. And so here's our thought. Here's our thesis statement, if you will. We, the Christian community, so the Christian community at large, we have allowed ourselves to adopt the mindset that there are many different ways to interpret the scriptures. And we've embraced that all of these different approaches are considered orthodox or acceptable. You know, if you if you're not familiar with the term orthodox or you don't use words like that, that's fine. We've adopted the mindset that all of these interpretations are acceptable. And then we've actually divided ourselves accordingly. So what I mean is this. We say, oh, well, the Baptists believe this way, but the Church of God believes this way, and both are acceptable and okay. 
and we're all still Christians and we're all still fellowshipping together and it's all great. There's nothing wrong with what's going on. We can just agree to disagree on many different things and let's just, we're united, but we're divided. Well, I would like to submit that that's not the best practice. And at the end of the day, when you really, when you really get down to the scriptures, um, all those things can't be accepted as orthodox and all of those things cannot be accepted as just a different way to interpret the truth. And at the root of it all, uh, and I think scripture is clear on this, the fact that we say, well, I'm a, I'm a Baptist Christian or I'm a Christian, but I'm church of God or I'm Christian, but I'm, I'm a Methodist Christian or I'm a non-denominational Christian. Non-denominational has basically become a denomination in and of itself these days, but none of those distinctions mean anything scripturally. In fact, First Corinthians chapter one, Paul would pretty dis, pretty much dispel that whole argument as a whole by saying, "Is Christ divided?" We talked about that on a recent episode. But if Christ is not divided, then we ought not be divided. People say, "Well, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Well, well, I'm of I'm of the Baptist persuasion. I'm of the Church of God persuasion." Well, no. At the end of the day, we're either Christian or non-Christian. We're either a believer or a non-believer. We either accept the truth or we have either accepted error and we call it the truth. And so that's the, that's the big premise is that one of the reasons that we have so much division among the church is people are not willing to approach these things across the denomination, the things that separate us, the things that divide us. Nobody's really willing to step up and say, okay, let's get to the bottom of it. Where do we differ? Where do we disagree? Let's look at the scripture and let's settle this. At the end of the day, again, we're either Christian or we're not Christian. We're either believers or we're unbelievers, non-believers. We have either embraced and accepted the truth or we've either embraced and accepted error. But scripture is clear. Ephesians 4, there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one hope to which we are all called. And so if there's one faith, then we should at the very least be in pursuit of that unity. In fact, that is what the last standalone episode was about, was that there should be an eager desire, a zeal that we have in fighting for Christian unity because there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. But the book of Jude also in verse three says that, you know, he, he urges us to, to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all of the saints. And so there again, there's another, there's one faith. We cannot swerve to another form of doctrine or another form of wisdom. There is one faith. There's, there's one set of teachings. There's one, uh, there's one canon of scripture that we refer to as God's word that is authoritative and that we should submit to as believers. And if we know that to be true, if we know that God has spoken, we would be absolute fools to not devote ourselves to the study of, of God's word so that we know what pleases him, what displeases him. We know what honors him. We know what, what brings reproach to his name. We know what glorifies him and we know what causes his anger. And we know that we as his children are called to be obedient children and to be holy as he is holy. And so we should devote our lives to walking in the truth of God, walking in the light as Christ is in the light and he is the light. And so with that, thought in mind, I want to add this one last blanket statement. If, you, if you're asking yourself, well, what, what's the big deal? Why is this so important about grasping the fact that, uh, you know, there is one faith? 
And there is there is um, one gospel. Why is that such an important thing to grasp? The beauty of grasping this truth is that this is the only thing that can bring about true church unity, true Christian unity. If we are believing that there's many different interpretations of Scripture or many different interpretations of the faith, if we're accepting that as um, as as acceptable and we're embracing that, then we're never going to have actual church unity because we've already bought into the mindset that it's okay to be divided. It's okay to have all these different interpretations, but to say that we're still united. And so we're never going to get down to the point where we say, oh, we are all actually submitted to the same truth, the one faith now. We're going to continue in our division. So if we've already embraced and accepted this mindset that all these different interpretations of Scripture are acceptable and we can still all be one, then we've already embraced this concept that real unity, actually agreeing on the sound doctrine of the Scriptures, isn't even really necessary because we're all right. Let's just all go along to get along. And so the beauty of the beauty of embracing and grasping that there really is one faith that was once delivered to the saints is that kind of sets the mark. This is what we're fighting for. We all want to be on the same page, and it's not about how Chesley sees it or how Caleb sees it. It's about the believers coming before the Word of God and saying, what has God said? That's the benchmark. So it's not about, well, that feels right to me, or I can make the most sense of that. It's, no, what has God spoken? We are called to submit to that. Yeah, and I was going, I was thinking that question while you were talking, well, what's so special about what we're talking about? But we're appealing to scripture. And this is what all of our episodes in the past. And when you upload episodes of you preaching, it's one of the main things you always emphasize is that you go to scripture for the truth. You don't listen to what we say. If you have questions about it, we're going to reference several scripture passages in this episode. And Caleb's already referenced some first John one and two. Um, we're going to reference others, Ephesians 4 and things like that. Um, they'll come up and you write them down, read them, um, read for yourself. And especially if you disagree with what we talk about or if you disagree with what we're saying, uh, don't just sit there and say, well, I didn't like what they said. I disagree with it. Go to the scripture. Ask yourself. I challenge you to ask yourself this question. Do I have a biblical reason that I disagree with what they're saying? Right. Or is it just my emotion? Is it just my feelings? And if it's just your feelings, you're trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in the word of God. You're not trusting in his authority. You're trusting in your own authority. And and if you think, listener, and even for, for Caleb and I, when we disagree with things, if we think that we're the ultimate source of authority or that what we feel is right, then we're already forgetting the, the whole point of the gospel. The gospel is that you are not enough, that your perceptions are not enough, that your nature is bound by sin, that you need a savior, that you've offended God, that he's holy and that you are not. And if we come to this thinking that we already have it all figured out, which by the way, Caleb and I are not claiming that we have everything figured out. <laughs> Absolutely, We're not. just trying to talk about things that no one else appears to want to talk about or seems to want to talk about. But um, search the scriptures, search what we're saying by what the scripture says. At the end of the day, we are sinners too. But hopefully none of us those speaking into the mic and those listening through the speakers will ever think that we are the standard for what's right and what's good and what's just and what's true, because it's always going to come down to what God has revealed. 
in his word to us. And we understand what that word says through the Holy Spirit that has taken residence in, into our hearts. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that, that, that blends perfectly with the premise of this episode because the, the truth is the great equalizer. And when I say the truth, again, we're not talking about what you think is truth or what I say is truth. God's truth, the actual truth is the great equalizer. Um, John chapter 17, Jesus is praying in his high, high priestly prayer. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now we know that in, in John chapter one, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus is the word, but Jesus is also referencing and speaking to the word of God. And then Peter references the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is, is revealed to him and to others that Jesus is the son of God. And Peter says that that personal account that he had is not sufficient compared to the word of God that's been given to us when compared to it's Peter's personal experience and revelation that he experienced. But we can't go off Peter's personal experience. We go off of the the revealed word of God. And if we believe that the, that the word of God is God breathed and that the apostles were carried along by the spirit of God and the truth was revealed to us and it was recorded on these tablets or these stones or these papyrus rolls or any anything else, then we must believe that God is speaking through his apostles. And Peter points us back to the word. Don't take my account of the transfiguration as fact. Read the rest of the scriptures. They're, they are more a more true representation of the truth. Yeah, yeah. A more sure word of prophecy. So I Thank mean you. that's yeah. So yeah, that that bleeds again, that bleeds perfectly into what we're what we're considering here because if we just think about the church, the early church, Christ, his apostles, and the early church, where did they get the most kickback from? It was always the religious people, those who thought they were already the children of God or the people of God. But the truth, the actual truth, is what exposed that. They weren't the children of God. In fact, in John chapter 8, uh, when Jesus says the truth will set you free, the response of the crowd is, well, what are you talking about? We've never been enslaved to anybody, which the irony of that statement is just incredible. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Jesus goes on to say, uh, because the, the, the Jewish people say of themselves, well, you know, we're the children of Abraham. We have Abraham as our father and everything else. And Jesus straight up tells them, you're of your father, the devil. So he's talking to people who would say, we are the children of God. We have Abraham as our father. And he says, you're of your father, the devil. And he had just told them, the truth will set you free. But they rejected the truth and they continued to reject truth. And so the actual truth is the great equalizer. People can say they're Christian all they want. People can say they love God all they want. But if we come to the word of God and reject any of the truth of the word of God, then we then we're exposed as phonies, as fakes, because those who are God's people embrace God's word because his word is truth. You cannot be of the truth or of the light while simultaneously rejecting the truth and rejecting the light and choosing darkness. And so. That brings us to our problem. If there's a problem that we're looking to address, this is one of the biggest problems that we see. Chesley actually referenced this earlier briefly. There are truths in Scripture that many people just don't seem to want to talk about. 
They don't want to bring them up. They don't want to. They definitely don't want to preach on them and teach on them. So here's what happens when that occurs: when the body of believers, and especially the teachers and preachers, when they come to the conclusion that we're just not going to bring those things up, we're not going to talk about that. That actually ends up cultivating fear or even hatred towards certain truths of Scripture. Because if they're never brought up, then when they are brought up, at the very least, people are going to be intimidated by the fact that, oh, that's a part of Scripture, that's a doctrine that I'm not familiar with and I don't know what to think, I'm automatically intimidated. Then, like I said, it could even become a case where people will actually start to hate certain things because they've actually been taught there's a reason we don't talk about those things. We hate those things. We don't like those things. We never bring them up. But what's heartbreaking, what is so heartbreaking, is that professing Christians and even pastors have that mindset towards portions of Scripture. Because here's the thing. We can, we can dance around it. We can come up with ways to pretty it up. But when we say, well, we don't talk about those things or we don't believe those things. If those things that are getting talked about are actually portions of Scripture, then what they're saying is we don't like God's Word. We don't submit to God's Word. We don't preach God's Word. You say, Caleb, that's too harsh of a statement. No, that's the truth. And so the longer that that goes on, the more and more Christians there will be that don't like to talk about certain things and the more and more preachers and teachers there will be that never confront certain portions of scriptures. Leaders are to be preaching and teaching these things, but sadly, it's many of the leaders. It's many of the pastors, many of the Sunday school teachers, many of the youth pastors that will never bring these things up. And therefore, it's the leaders that are actually breeding this fear and confusion of certain doctrinal truths. And to to even to even bring this to light a little bit more so, let me actually go to uh, the book of John in chapter 6. And I'm, I'm not going to read the entire account, but I'll give you the short version of it. Jesus gives a teaching that says, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And I'm not a Greek scholar. Chesley's not a Greek scholar. But the, the word in the original language literally means to drag. Okay, so no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Well, that was a hard saying, and many people didn't like it. Jesus also said, unless one um, eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, he has no part of me. And then that really threw people for a loop. But in verse 60 of John 6, so John 6, verse 60, it says, therefore many of his disciples, now I do want to pause there just briefly. Scripture here, we are being told of a group of people that are identified, at least outwardly, they are identified as disciples of Christ. Well, they're following Jesus. They are following him where he goes. They're listening to his teachings. Scripture refers to him at, to them at this point in time, disciples. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? So it's interesting to note Jesus's response to this. Jesus doesn't pander to them. Jesus doesn't pat them on the back and just try to make them feel better. Um, listen to Jesus's response. When Jesus knew in, in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said, does this offend you? What then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. 
but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said unto you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So what was it that exposed these disciples as not really submitting to the teachings of Jesus? What was it that exposed the fact that they weren't truly disciples? Jesus simply gave them the truth. He literally says, this is why I have told you. Nobody can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. And at that point, many of his disciples turned away and followed him no more. But, or sorry, from that time, his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? So the 12, well, here's more disciples. It's just a different group of disciples, right? He goes to the 12. Do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Well, why didn't the other disciples say that? Simon Peter gets it. Simon Peter said, there's nowhere else to go. Lord, Christ, you have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Simon Peter understood something and grasped something that these other disciples who turned and walked away, they didn't grasp. Almost as if something was granted to Peter that wasn't granted to the disciples who turned and walked away, which definitely backs up and jives with Jesus' teaching that he was giving to the people. No man can come to me unless the Father draws him, unless it's granted to him by the Father. Now, if, you, if you're listening to this and you say, Caleb's using that example on purpose. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, you're right. I'm using this example on purpose because to this day, to this very day, what we're discussing here in John 6 is one of the very things that modern preachers and teachers and Christians, they won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to bring it up. They don't want to discuss it because guess what? This was a hard teaching then, and it's a hard teaching now. So if that's you, let me say this. If, if, if you read this passage, whether you're just following along this podcast and you're already having a hard time with it, or if, you're, if you go later on and you read John 6 on your own, or if you've read it in the past and you already know that you have a hard time with it, let me encourage you with this. You're, you're in good company. Yeah. I have never talked to a Christian that has studied this passage and come to see the beauty of this passage that, that has said, you know what, I never struggled with that. I always got that. I've never talked to one. That doesn't mean they're not out there. But in my 31 years of existence, I've never known a Christian who actually sees the beauty of John 6 to say, I always understood that. I got that. I never had to wrestle with it. Every single person has always said to me, yeah, man, that chapter wrecked me or that chapter really threw me for a loop. It took me forever to, to, to deal with that. And there's a reason for that. It is a hard truth. Jesus himself even speaks of this, that it's it's a hard truth. Who can understand it? You know, the disciples asked that about, was that, that was actually about marriage, wasn't it? When the when the disciples said that, this is a hard, hard saying, who can accept it? Um, I think that's Matthew 19. I yes. could be wrong on yeah. that. That's Caleb speaking off the cuff, but I'm pretty sure that comment was actually about divorce, marriage and divorce. Um, but anyway, I digress. John 6 has always been a hard portion of scripture. And if you, if you were to look at church history, 
many things have, have come from this concept of, okay, the Father is the one who actually chooses and draws people to the Son. He has given a people to the Son. But let's come back to the Gospel of John real quick because Peter says to him, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So Peter and the other 11, they're, they're following him. And of course, we know that Judas is included in this number at this time. But we just read that Jesus knew who it was who would betray him. But if you turn to John 10, I think John 10 kind of even enhances this picture of, well, how did they get it and other people didn't get it? How did they understand it and other people didn't comprehend it and didn't understand it? John 10 Jesus, of course, speaking on the fact that he is <laughs> he is the good shepherd. Most assuredly, I say to you, starting in verse one, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Those who are truly sheep, those who are truly followers of Christ, will not tolerate the voice of others, will not tolerate the voice of strangers. They will not tolerate false teaching. They will not tolerate false teachers. They will not tolerate false doctrines. They follow the voice of Christ. That's one of the marks of a true believer, which is why I said earlier, if somebody's claiming to be a, script, uh, a Christian, but they come before the scriptures and they say, I know that's in there. I see that, but I'm still going to keep believing the way I want to believe. And I'm just, I'm not going to deal with that portion of scripture. To me, that's a huge red flag, not just because Caleb's saying it's a big red flag, but mainly because of what we just read. Christ's sheep hear his voice and they follow him and they will not follow the voice of another. So if somebody is able to read the scriptures and say, okay, I know that God has said that, but I'm not going to follow it. If you love me, keep my, keep commandments. my commandments. Yeah. And later in John 10, he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them in also. And they will listen to me. There's a, there's a definite, there's a definiteness to the mission of Christ that, he knows his own, he will redeem them, and they will follow him. Jesus isn't trying to save however many he can get. Jesus knows who his sheep are, and he saves them, and they will follow him. Yeah, the Lord's will is definite. It can't be thwarted. We were talking about that earlier. Psalm 2, Psalm 33. Um, God's will has been established from the foundation of the world. Um, he doesn't look down a corridor of time. And, and figure out what's going to happen and then change his plans accordingly. He establishes everything, his hands over all things. He ordains all things. Um, Romans 8, 28, we were talking earlier, <clears throat> all things work to the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. God doesn't have to scramble his hands together and brew up some potion to turn something evil into something good. Um, Caleb stated when he and I were speaking before we recorded that it's always been good. We can't we can't see the goodness in things a lot of the times, and that's because we we are limited in our knowledge and our ability within our own self to to accept things as they are and to live in a sin ridden world or a sin fallen world. Um, and it's the testing of our faith. And it's the testing of our faith, and that testing 
uh, produces endurance and character and faith and, and hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. Uh, Paul writes us and tells us that. And um, I also wanted to mention, uh, I said earlier, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's speaking specifically about commandments in scripture, but it goes down to believing what the word of God says and not adding to it or taking away from it. And, um, you know, it, it, oh yes. Keeping commandments. Well, isn't, isn't if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So what commandments are there left to keep? Well, even as believers, our works don't save us, right? But our salvation is proven by our works. If you are saved, you will change. Mm-hmm. You will, you will have a desire to kill sin. You will hate sin. The things that you once loved, you will hate. The things you once hate, once hated, once hated, you will love. Excuse me. That's Romans seven. There's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Yeah, a wretched man that I am. Who yeah. will deliver me from this body of death? Exactly. And the, and James even talks about. Faith being proven by your works. We know that your works don't save save you as a believer, but there will be good works produced. And I believe it's Ephesians that talks about the good works that were prepared beforehand. Yeah. That we should walk in them. And yes. Ephesians is a book that is full of a doctrine that people like to evade as much as possible. Uh, the doctrines of election and predestination are, are all throughout the book of Ephesians. And we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world be holy and blameless and God has established works, good works beforehand that we should walk in them. Those good works are produced by the spirit. No man comes uh, to me unless the father, no man comes to the father unless the spirit draws him. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's John six and that Caleb read earlier. And that plays into Ephesians uh, regarding our, our election and our predestination. Go ahead, Caleb. First Peter chapter one. I was just going to say first Peter chapter one. We're, we're, foreknown and we're sanctified we're foreknown by the father we're sanctified in the spirit for obedience to christ and the sprinkling of his blood um so you you can't you can't get around that and then if you continue in first peter one it says that praise be to god who caused us to be born again he brings about the new birth it's all it's all his work and i know that some some might be listening or we've all even i've had this thought in my own private time you know we, we hear that election and predestination are our doctrines and there's things that we that we have to do something with them so what do we do with them we can scowl at them we can throw our fists up we can gnash our teeth at god it it offers comfort um if you read scripture and you adhere to orthodox teaching that's been throughout the history of the church since it's um since it's inception. start and in, inception is the word i was thinking of thank you caleb um we, we know that the doctrine of hell is a real thing. We know that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And we know that those who never turn from their sin, never repent of their sin, and who ultimately reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is where they spend an eternity. So the concept of hell is not new throughout the entire history of Christendom. So the fact that people will go there should not be a shock to any Christian of any amount of time because hell is a doctrine. It doesn't matter what new age teachers, it doesn't matter what, um, what teachers are proponents of deconstructionism are pushing towards you. Hell is a real place. It was created by our creator and people will go there. And so the doctrine of election and predestination might sound unjust, 
R.C. Sproul say, states that we don't really want justice. No. With God, <laughs> you don't want justice. There, there is, there is mercy that is given to us that's undeserved. Um, grace is something that we never, that we never deserve, that we never warrant. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Yeah. And grace is getting, lay that out for me, Caleb. Help me with that, with the different, well, you, the differentiation. You already hit you, mercy. So. I already hit, so mercy is not getting what you, what you deserve. Yeah. So, so grace is being the recipient of something that, that you never deserve, that, that you, you, that you that can't you can never merit. work for, yeah. that you can't merit it. Yeah. Thank you. I was trying to differentiate between the two without confusing myself and the listeners. <laughs> so, so in talking about election and predestination, if we already come to the scriptures knowing that hell is a real place and that people will spend eternity there, and if we think about the the gospel itself, that there is there are none righteous, no, not one, that no one seeks after God, that no one does good, Romans 3. In reality, coming to the scriptures and as an unbeliever, before before we are saved by the Father, before the blood of Christ is applied to us, before the Spirit indwells us and lives in our hearts and gives us a renewed nature that's a slave to sin and now a slave to Christ, we are all hellbound. Yes. And it is the grace and the mercy of God that breathes life into our dead bodies, into our dead spirit, and gives us life. And this is a hard truth who can understand it. The fact that God saves some, some and not others, who are we to answer back to God? I mean, that, that it's a hard truth the, to understand. The real question to ask is, why would he save anybody? I right. mean, that, that's really right. what it boils down. And, and scripture, if you think I'm asking that question, just to like throw it out there. No, scripture answers that question. He says because it was his good pleasure to do so. Right. So to put it in a, in a real tongue-in-cheek kind of way, why does God save anybody? Because he wants to. Right. He wants to. He didn't have to, but he chose to because he wanted to. That was part of his plan. God's overarching plan is to unite all things in Christ. Scripture's plain about that. You can look at um, Ephesians chapters, chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, that it is Christ will have preeminence in all things. All things will be united in Christ. And so in order to accomplish that purpose, Christ is made to be Redeemer. 1 Peter 1, chapter 20 says that he was foreordained or foreknown before the foundation of the earth. He was, he was ordained as the Redeemer, that we would be saved through his blood. And so that has always been the will of the Father, to give Christ the preeminence and for Christ to be the one who who unites all things in him. Um, and so we're we're talking about a lot of things that I'm I'm having to refrain from from diving deep off into these topics and doctrine. So that that's God's great overarching theme is to unite all things in Christ. And so we're already we've already brought up a few different doctrines that I'm having to refrain from from diving off and, and doing rabbit trails on all these because I really want to just mention two specifically, which we've already hit one. The doctrine of predestination election, you, you pair those together. So that that's one thing that I definitely wanted to address. But but the issue being that we we've got to talk about these things because there is a right way to understand all these things. And that's Chesley was saying that there's parts of it that yeah, as we as we wrestle with the text and as we wrestle with these deeper doctrines of scripture, there are things that it does cause us to take a step back and say, Do I really believe this? Is this really the, the way that it is? Is this really truth? Are people really going to hell? Furthermore, because of Adam's sin, are all people born in sin? Are all people born fallen? There's people who reject that doctrine. And people who reject that doctrine 
cannot be considered orthodox, cannot be considered a part of the true Christian faith because that's a clear teaching in Scripture that Adam, as our representative, when he sinned, he ushered in sin and death in, in, into the world, and, and we're born into that. And so we have to confront that. Um, okay, how does God save people? Well, God saves all who believes. But an issue, an issue with that, that that's very, to me, it's very thought-provoking is, okay, well, what does Scripture say about the natural man? Because all who believe are going to be saved. But are there not things in Scripture that say that the natural man can't understand the spiritual things of God? Well, how are we going to believe in something that we can't even understand? Why will we ever choose to believe that? The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are perishing. But to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. Or to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. Well, so if people hear the preaching of the cross and they hear they think that it's a stumbling block or that it's foolishness, why would anybody believe, place their faith in something that they think is foolishness or is a stumbling block? But now wait, that reminds me. And see, this is, I'm, I'm kind of playing a part here. I get that. But this is, this is all part of, I guess you could say, my personal testimony of me working through these things because then it's like, oh, wait the most famous passage in all of scripture for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him will never perish but have eternal life. But what does it say before that? What was it that Jesus told Nicodemus Chesley? He must be born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay. So wait a minute. The natural man doesn't understand the spiritual things of God. The preaching of the cross is foolishness. It's a stumbling block. You already talked about Romans three. There's none that seeks God. There's none that pursues. There's none good. There's none that pursues righteousness. We've all turned aside. There's none that. There's none that seeks God. There's none that seeks good. So there's none that seeks good. We can't understand the spiritual things of God. It's foolishness. It's a stumbling block. But all who believe are going to be saved. Well, who on earth will is going to believe in their natural state? Right, who will be saved? That's where the necessity of the new birth comes in. That 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 is of the flesh is just flesh. You must be born again. And not everybody is born again. Titus 3 says that we're washed in the regeneration of the Spirit. Not everybody receives that. So then we, we kind of have to wrestle with this other hard thing. Well, why doesn't God do the same for everybody what he does for some? And he's not, the bottom line is, he's not obligated to do so. But scripturally, we just, we, we have to keep coming back to the scripture and say, how does God save people? What has, how has God decided to save? And and the truth is, he will save all who believe. All who repent and believe will be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you as the listener know just as well as me and Chesley know that as the gospel goes out, there are many, 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 many people that hear the gospel and they even hear it repeated. They hear it over and over and they continue to reject. They won't believe it. They won't believe it. They won't believe it. So then that begs another question. Well, what is it that hinders people from believing? And our answer to that would be they're dead in their sin. They cannot understand the spiritual things of God. We've, we've turned aside. We don't desire the things of God. It's foolishness. It's a stumbling block to us. And then you say, well, what about those who believe but their life never changes? Well, I would bring up the parable of the soul. You know, there, there, is, a, there is a soul that the seed falls and then immediately it rejoices. It, it, it receives the news with gladness. But then when it's tested, it dries up and withers and it's taken away. And so there's only one soil that the seed falls into that produces fruit. There's only one lasting true soil that that seed falls into. And we would say that, that that's true salvation. 
when somebody receives the gospel and they grow and they mature and there is a change, how can we, how can we who are dead to sin continue to live therein? It's impossible. You're not going to do that. If you've really been born again, you embrace Christ as Savior, you embrace the truth, and you continue to grow therein. You continue to mature in the faith and you continue to grow. But everything that I just talked about, and I know that was a really brief, that was a crash course, if you will. But within that crash course, there was there was many different doctrines that we could have teased out and gone down that rabbit trail and really talked about them deeply. And, and we plan, we do, we do plan on doing that here on Reformation South, having a series where we go through again what Christians believe. And we talk about these doctrines individually and we we expound on them and we talk about them. But for the sake of this episode, all that we're driving at is there are things in Scripture that people will come to and say, I don't like that. And that's a, that's a really big oversimplification. But really what we're saying is, I don't like that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to embrace that truth. And that is the testing of our faith. Will we submit to God as He is, as He truly is? Or will we seek to embrace a God of our own making? Because here's the big question. If you're hearing us talk about predestination election and you're saying, nope, I don't go that route either. I don't like that. Here's the thing. The God revealed in Scripture, so God as He really is, does He tell us about these doctrines of predestination and election in His Word? Yes. Yes. Plainly. So if we're going to go the route of saying, well, I don't, I don't believe in predestination and election, then here's what we're actually saying. I don't believe a portion of the scripture, which is to say God is a liar and I will not submit to his authority. That's why we take this so seriously. And that's why we say that this is such a big problem within the church. If nobody's willing to address it, then it's going to breed fear and confusion about doctrines of scripture that are beautiful, that are wonderful. Because as Chesley hinted at earlier and, and hit earlier, if we're born in sin and we're children of wrath, Ephesians 2, we are by nature children of wrath. We're told in Psalms five, Psalm 5 that God hates those who do wicked things. Yeah. God hates evildoers. Yeah. That's and, us, y'all. Yeah. And Chesley's hitting at the last thing that I'm going to bring up as far as... A, no, no, no. You're good. As far as a doctrine that we don't like to talk... We don't like to talk about the doctrine of God's wrath. The Bible teaches us about God's wrath. But um, when we start to ask ourselves, okay, well, if, if, God, if God really does predestined or elect souls to salvation. I think I have issues with that because, you know, do I really believe that because of Adam's sin, we are really all born in sin and we're children of his wrath. Like Ephesians 2 says that we're by nature children of wrath. The real question to ask is this, if we are by nature children of wrath, why would he ever make us recipients of his mercy and his grace and his love? We don't deserve it. So why would he do it? And again, I repeat that the scripture answers that question. Again, this is not a pursuit of what does Caleb say is true? What does Chesley say is true? What does anybody say is true? The question we always must ask is what does scripture say about it? What has God spoken about it? We are born in sin. Those that are saved are saved by God's grace through faith, but it's by God's grace through faith. And that is the gift of God. It's not our own doing. Scripture speaks towards these things. Is there anything else in Scripture that talks about um, God's freedom to save, His freedom to save, that He's free to save who He will and redeem who He will? 
Yes, Romans 9. It's one of the most, I'm going to say it's one of the most hated portions of Scripture by many different people. But it's also one of the most abused portions of Scripture because those who come before and don't really want to accept what Romans 9 plainly teaches will say that, oh, well, it's talking about Israel or, oh, it's just talking about nations. But if you if you turn to Romans 9 and we just read through it, go to uh, closer to the end of it. We'll, we'll read more than this, but I want us to start here because one of the main objections is that, oh, well, that's talking about nations. It's not talking about individuals. Romans 9 verse 22 says, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, by the way, just wanting to show his wrath, God's wrath is a part of who he is. It needs to be addressed. What draws out his wrath? What does he hate? Sin. Rebellion. But what if God, wanting to make known his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles so that's talking of individuals individuals that were chosen vessels of mercy that God himself prepared beforehand not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles so God's freedom to save. And that comes after the objection that Paul answers in verse 19. Well, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? And that is still one of the biggest gripes against predestination election. Well, if you believe that God creates people who are going to die and go to hell anyway, then how can he still punish them because they never really had a choice? I mean, that's that was God's will for them to to perish. And conversely, if God never saved anyone and we all went to hell, we would be getting what we deserved. Right. According to what scripture says, because we all love sin. Yeah. And that means, yes, this is what this means. It means that God's will trumps ours. Yes. And that if he wants you, he's going to have you no matter what. He hardened Pharaoh's heart multiple times. Pharaoh was already evil. God used Pharaoh's unrepentant nature to fulfill his purpose in delivering yeah. the Israelites from Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, was an evil, wicked man. God took his sanity away from him. And at the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar says, I know that you do all things well. Yes. That you can basically, I'm paraphrasing, you can do whatever yeah. you want. You're, you're, in, you're in heaven and no man yeah. can thwart your plan. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. He does as he pleases with the inhabitants of earth and in heaven. None can stay his hand. These weren't anomalies. They weren't one-time things. This is the character of God. We're told, like I said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, Psalm 2, Psalm 33. God's plan will not be thwarted. If If he has a plan established, it will come to pass. Leaders who are in office, things that happen in your personal life, even where a speck of dust lays on your mantle. It's all ordained by God. And we don't think about these things, but everything that comes to pass, good, bad, ugly, ordained by God, allowed by him, used for his purpose and his glory. And we look around us and we see injustice after injustice. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from the heart of God. We're image bearers. We're supposed to image his glory as believers. We have a sense of right and wrong because the law of God is written on our hearts. However, what separates us 
from God is that he's God and we're not. Yeah. Our, our understanding of justice is not his understanding of justice. But when we read scripture and we see that the gift of salvation is never deserved, it's never warranted by anything that we do. It's freely given to those who repent and believe. But how do we repent and believe? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we repent of our sin. We believe and we are saved. That's a gift of God so that no man may boast. We're told that in Ephesians, Caleb has something to read. Go ahead, Caleb. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for the next. Oh. You, you and, and, I, and I was going to finish up with, uh, um, with, with two other things. Going back, hopping back to John 6. Jesus makes a statement, and Jesus being God, we know that God cannot lie. Um, verse 37, John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I also wanted to turn um, to Romans 6 really, really quickly. Kind of bouncing over, but that's okay. Chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Super quick here. things to Something to ponder. There are two natures. There are two forms of slavery in scripture regarding spiritual condition. You are either a slave to sin prior to salvation, or you are a slave of righteousness, a slave of Christ after salvation. Those are the only two things. And if I am a slave to sin, that means I am outside of the Father and I am not in Christ. The Spirit does not dwell in me, which means I am not a child of God which means I am a slave to sin, which means, Romans 3, that I am a part of the none are righteous, none do good, none seek after God, which Jesus is the good shepherd. If a sheep is lost, he goes and finds them. He comes for us. We don't go for him. We don't go looking for him. The only way that anyone would ever come to understanding that Jesus is Lord is if it is revealed to them. Caleb, go ahead. So in, in wrapping up, 
I'll say this because one of the biggest, one of the biggest objections, and, and by this point, I really don't believe we've ever tried, we've never tried to hide this, or, and even in my preaching, um, this has never been, I don't think it's ever been hidden that we, we believe these things, we teach these things. What I will say is this, we don't make it a point to go around and tell people, you need to understand predestination election because it's not, this isn't a part of the gospel. It's not right. all who repent and believe in predestination and election will be saved. But the, the reason that this was so important to us in this episode was because of, go back to our premise, go back to the point of this episode. There are many things in scripture that people are just scared to approach or fearful to approach. And worse yet, there's some beautiful truths of scripture that men and women who call themselves Christians will look at and say, I hate those things. I will not believe those things. And if these are biblical doctrines that men and women who call themselves Christians are looking at and saying, I hate them, I will not believe them, then what they are saying is, I hate the teaching of God, I will not submit to the teaching of God, and I will not to submit to God as He is, as He has revealed Himself. That is why we have such a big burden for this. We want genuine church unity. That's not just something we put as our tagline to be cute. We want genuine church unity. But when the church is so divided and so confused about what sound doctrine is, church unity is going to have to be fought for. Church unity is going to be a difficult thing to, to come to. I really believe that. Because we're living in a day and age right now, here in Baxley, Georgia, you bring up predestination and election, you have a target on your back. Because there are men and women who call themselves Christians that refuse to acknowledge God's freedom to save and God's sovereignty in salvation. So we're not bringing this up to try to coax you into seeing things our way. We're not bringing this up to try to stir the pot. We're actually bringing this up really to, to go with that analogy and I guess to kind of be a little tongue in cheek. We're bringing this up so that we can turn the stove on and turn the stove off and finally put what's in the pot in the bowl so you can eat and be nourished and that you can grow thereby. We're not trying to stir the pot. We want to feed you the truth of the word of God. We're not trying to stir stuff up. We want your, your faith to be strengthened. We want you to be edified and equipped for the work of the ministry. And as long as these men who call themselves preachers and teachers of the word are hiding these truths from you, they're doing you a disservice and they're actually harming your spiritual good. And I will say this, we have had enough of it. Like it is becoming a burden to us to an extent to know that our community is hurting for the truth. Even our Christian community is hurting for the truth. And so predestination and election are not controversial topics. Hmm. Predestination and election are not topics that only, you know, only Calvinists believe. Predestination and election are biblical doctrines that glorify God. And sometimes you're, you, you will hear people say, well, I can't worship a God like that. And that's where we would say, that's the problem. You don't worship the true God of the Bible. That's the very problem that we're seeking to address is that when people see God for who he truly is and how he has revealed himself in scripture, many people say, I will never worship a God like that. Now, let me be more specific. Many people who call themselves Christians will say, I will never worship a God like that. And our response is, that's the problem. Professing Christians read doctrines of scripture and say, I will never believe those things. 
You cannot be a true believer and reject the truth of God at the same time. You cannot be a true believer and reject God's authority at the same time. It's not going to happen. You will hear the voice of Christ and you will follow him and you will submit to him as Lord. So that's the big issue here. So with that being said, one of the biggest gripes against predestination election is, oh, well, people who believe in predestination don't believe that whosoever will. First off, Chesley just read from John 6, all who come, who, who, whoever, whoever comes to me will never thirst again, will never hunger again, whoever, whoever, whoever. You will never hear me and Chesley say, whosoever doesn't mean whosoever. It absolutely means whosoever. Matthew 11, I, 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 this has become a staple uh, in my mind of a wonderful passage to go to that shows the beauty of whosoever and God's sovereignty in salvation. Matthew 11, verse 28 is one of the most preached and talked about verses probably that I know of. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Right? So you'll hear that at revival services. If you've got an evangelist that comes to your church, your church to preach, or if there's something out in the community like a tent revival or something like that, one of those preachers is going to preach on Matthew eleven and, and use this. You don't need, like you don't even have to turn the page in your Bible. Just stay right where you're at and just go up a couple of verses. Start at verse twenty five. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and you have revealed them to babes. Well, right there, God reveals what he wills to some, and he hides what he wills from others. He has the freedom to do that. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and to the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him, or chooses to reveal, chooses him. to reveal Him. Yes. So, no one knows the Father except the Son, and whoever the Son chooses to reveal Him. There is a freedom. There is a sovereignty of God and salvation to reveal what He will to some, and hide what He will from others. To draw some to salvation and not draw others. And yes, that you're listening to two people who look at this and say, this is biblical truth. These are doctrines of grace. But I'll also sit right here and tell you, yes, these are hard truths of scripture. These aren't the kind of truths that you sit back and it just gives you butterflies in your tummy and you think, oh, this just makes me so happy. I, I mean, it's, I, I do think that it's proper to say these are doctrines that you have to grow up into and you grow to appreciate, you grow to love them. Um, and you see that when you, you have to pair this with the fact that, okay, yeah, we were all hellbound. Everybody's hellbound, but God in his mercy and in his grace, he reveals truth to some and he washes them in the regeneration of the spirit. He raises them up to new life and he didn't have to do that for anybody, but he does that for a multitude that no man's going to be able to number from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Why? Because it was his good pleasure to do so. Right. So a lot of times people will say, well, if you believe in predestination and election, you don't believe in whosoever will. Here in the same text, Matthew 11, 25 through the rest of the chapter, 25 through 30, 
Jesus plainly says, nobody knows the Father except the Son and whoever the Son chooses to reveal him. In the very next breath, he says, come to me, all of you who labor. So anybody, whosoever, come to me. And they're both right there. John MacArthur, um, this isn't going to be a direct quote. You can find it on YouTube. You can type it in, John MacArthur predestination election question. It'll probably bring up the video. But somebody asked John MacArthur, like, how do you, how do you remedy the fact that man has a responsibility to choose Christ, but that God is sovereign in salvation? And John MacArthur's simple reply was, you don't. The Bible teaches both. All who come to me, all who repent and believe will be saved. God chooses, he elects, he predestines, he calls, God does all that stuff. The scripture teaches both. So as Christians, we believe both. And I was telling Chesley earlier, I've been using this lately. I'm not saying that this is a perfect statement, but it is something that I think we all need to hear. The whosoever and the elect are one and the same. It's the same group of people because nobody's going to come to Christ unless they were chosen before the foundation of the earth. Nobody's going to come to Christ unless they've been washed in the regeneration of the spirit. Nobody is going to believe unless God has given them eyes to see and ears to hear so that they will believe the gospel. So the whosoever and the elect are one and the same. And when we pray for those lost loved ones, we pray and we ask God, what is one of the main things that we say? I don't even have to know you if you were a believer to know the prayers that you pray. God, I pray that you would change their heart. That's acknowledging that God has the power to take the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Yeah. And that, that in and of itself, that, that is a doctrine giving God power over salvation, making him the author and finisher of our faith. And he who begins a good work in you will bring it to completion. And it's, and it's a, it's a comfort when you think about it. I know that when you hear, when you hear some of the conversation, especially if there are things that you disagree with, you know, you hear the word comfort and you think, nah, there's nothing comforting about anything that we've been talking about. God is sovereign. He's in 100% control. I would say infinite control Yeah. to, to make it, to, to bring it even more home. If you're a believer, God controls every iota of your life. As R.C. Sproul used to say, every maverick molecule, there's not one maverick molecule in the galaxy that is roaming free or on its own accord. God controls everything. Christ holds all things together. All things were created by him and through him. And he controls all things. What kind, the question, we, we've mentioned this, what kind of, what, you ask, what, why would you ever want to, I can't, I can never worship a God. How, how can you worship a God who does not have complete control? Is he God if he doesn't have control? How could you trust any of his promises if yeah. he's not in control? It, he's not He's not a God who would keep... How can he keep his word if he can't get one measly human to, to, to come to him whenever he beckons to them? He has to have control in order to be God. If he, if he is limited by our, by our wills and decisions, then we are God. Yes. And, and, that, and I know that's a difficult thing. And we're, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to break this up. Um, we're going to do a standalone episode on predestination election. And kind of go through it in much more detail. Um, and we're going to do we're going to do another episode on the abuse of the phrase that God is love, because God is love. We wholeheartedly agree with that. But when we abuse that and turn it into something that it's not by using the world's definition of love, we've got big issues. And that was another thing that 
that I had written down in my notes. We're going to break those up. So you've got at least two more episodes coming your way soon. But for sake of this episode, because you might say, well, well, why was this on on your guys' heart and mind? And we want to be honest about this. Here in our own community, there's already been kickback from other ministers, from other leaders in the community. And I'm not, again, this isn't, I don't want anybody to say, ooh, give me the details. You know, I'm just, we're letting you know. When these truths that, again, go back to the premise of this episode, when these truths that people don't want to talk about, they don't want them to get brought up. When they when they are brought up, people get upset and they try to they try to shut it down and they try to hush it up so that it, it stops spreading. And so we we've heard back that, that we know that um, that there are things being said and there there are things that are being said that are negative And, you know, don't don't listen to them. Don't. Um, well, I'll just be honest and say, you know, don't. You, you don't want to listen to what Caleb's preaching. And, um, you know, we're looking at that and our, our hearts break. I'll be honest. There's a part of me that gets irate and that gets upset about stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's heartbreaking. Why is it heartbreaking? Because we want this area. We want Baxley, Hazelhurst, Alma, Glenville, all of the surrounding counties. We want the truth to be known. And as we read in John 10, the shepherd, there is one shepherd, the good shepherd, Christ. And his sheep want to hear his voice and they will hear his voice and they will follow him. And when the, where there is a lack of truth, the true sheep will be starving. And they might, they may not even know that they're starving, but when the truth goes out there, they will know that is the truth. That is the voice of my shepherd. And so that's why this was so prevalent in our minds and on our hearts today is that we know that this is going on, but that exposes even more, again, Reformation South, a pursuit of sound doctrine, church unity, and a humble faith, right? So, sound doctrine, it all goes back to that. What we see a lot in these areas is just, to put it plainly, rejection of the truth. Then we also, now we know that there's some backbiting and some 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 attacks, so to speak, that are going on. And it's a refusal to submit to Scripture. Because Scripture is plain that if I've got an issue with Chesley, I need to go to Chesley and handle it with him. I don't need to go to Chesley's family or his friends and, 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 and try to get them to turn against Chesley too. I need to go to Chesley and say, Chesley, I believe you're out of step with the gospel. And you're my brother in Christ. So we need to come before the Word of God and we need to be unified. But if I go around trying to get other people to turn against Chesley, not only am I doing Chesley a disservice, I'm being disobedient towards God and I'm breeding more disunity and more discord among the sheep, among the brethren. And you, by doing so, if you are one of those people, you you are warned about in scripture. Yes. And that, that's, that's hard because you look at scripture and you say, and we don't want to think that that could ever be us. By God's grace, we hope that it never is any of us, including me and Caleb. But if I'm not, if I am, if I'm, a, if I'm a, a man who has been given leadership over a flock, and I am backbiting and gossiping, is what it is, and slandering another brother rather than going to him because I don't like something that he's saying, it's cowardice and it's sin. And Paul tells us, "Be men, yeah. act like men." 
And if you're going to be a man, and especially a man of the word, you need to adhere to it, not just in preaching doctrines, but don't slander your brother. But I want that for every I want that for every man who's been called to be a pastor. I would never want to hear someone else slander another another pastor. If you have a fault with your brother, go to your brother in private. Yeah, yeah, it's a biblical truth. That's why we're bringing it up. It's a biblical truth, and it's a doctrine for the church to practice. Yeah, and so it goes without saying. We've said this before, but let me emphasize this once more. If you're listening to this and you disagree with what we're saying, or you have an issue with what we're saying, I'm. I will literally beg you as best I can over a podcast, reach out to me. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You're not going to upset me. I'm going to say, yes, let's meet up. Let's talk about this. You know, let, let's find a place to have coffee or let's have breakfast or let's have lunch. What does make me angry is sin running rampant among God's people and sin running rampant among the leaders of God's people. That does make me angry. Because I know that it makes God angry and it hurts the people that we're supposed to be shepherding. It hurts the people that were called to oversee the spiritual well-being of their souls. Um, and it breeds more discord and, and, and more disunity, which further goes against what we're instructed to do in Scripture. So those things make me upset because we're, we're here and we're seeking to the best of our ability to teach and to share and to point others towards the truth. And we desperately want to see real, genuine church unity among the brethren. And that's what our prayer is. And that's what we're here for. And if you're listening to this, we love you. We want If you, if you profess to be a Christian, we want you to grow and mature in the faith. We want your faith to be stronger than it ever has been. If you think that we're wrong, we don't want to be wrong, biblically speaking. We don't want to be falsely representing God. We don't want to be falsely representing Christ. We need correction. Scripture is profitable for correction. So if you disagree with us or you think that we're wrong, please show us in Scripture where we are in error. Okay? That we're not going to take it personally. We want your spiritual well-being. And as our brothers and sisters in Christ, you should want our spiritual well-being as well so that we can all glorify God together. So this was a little bit of a longer episode. Thank you guys for listening to the whole thing. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, but we will have some follow-up episodes along these same lines, and we will dive more deeply into them. But we cannot be scared to talk about certain doctrines of Scripture. We can't be scared or fearful to preach certain doctrines of Scripture. But more importantly, we can't pretend that backbiting and going around Talking about our brethren is okay, and that's acceptable either. Jesus calls that, was it slander of character to hate your brother? Your yeah. heart is to be a murderer? Is to be a murderer. And going yeah. back to First John, read through First John. He who hates his brother is not in the light. Yes, absolutely. And so we have adopted this mindset that all these different interpretations are okay and they're acceptable. And guys, they're not. There's one faith, one Lord. And if, if you're already along here with us in Reformation South, that's what we're in pursuit of. Sound doctrine, church unity, and a humble faith. And there are things that we probably need to be corrected on. There, are, they, We know for a fact there are things in this community that is called Christian that needs to be corrected. And so that's why you know we do believe that the church needs to be reformed through and by the word of God. Scripture alone is what brings the reform. Uh, as the Spirit of God works through 
the preaching and teaching of the word and leads us into all truth. Is there a scripture that you wanted to read in, in closing? Or? Okay. No. Um, so thank you guys again uh, for listening. We know that there was a lot covered in this episode. This is as personal, I know, as we've ever been. And again, we are not trying to stir stuff up or whatever else. If, if there are high emotions, if there are tensions, let it be publicly known. We are begging you. Call us, text us, Facebook message us, whatever. We want the true unity of believers, and that's never going to happen if we're not even willing to approach these doctrines of Scripture and study them to show ourselves approved. So we love you guys, and we'll catch you next time.